Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us once again to Let's Talk University podcast. Uh, we are here in episode three of what is this series three as well um, in the Who Am I series, where we are trying to uh, figure out who we are during specific parts of our lives. And in this episode, we're going to be targeting um, life after that bachelor's degree, post undergrad. Now, trying to see what life has been like. Um, our views, our, our beliefs, um, academically, socially, personally, who are we? What are we like? What are we thinking? Where are we in this world? Um, so I'm Ernesto Flores. Once again here, um, I'm honored to have uh, two other podcast members on this call. It's a big group today, folks. And the most important part is that we have three very special guests that we'll get to. But uh, other than myself, uh, we have, who wants to jump in? One or two, two or one. I'll jump in. There Hi, everyone. Go. It's Jazz. Um, Y'all have heard me in previous episodes, but just a quick reminder. Um, my name is Jazz. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm the UCR student. Maybe that's how <laughs> you can kind of differentiate us. But yeah. That's true. Yeah. Hello. Welcome back, beautiful people. Uh, this is Luis speaking. Uh, excited to be on this episode once again with you guys. Cool. And um, yeah, I'm the, the, what is it? The veteran of the group. I'm not in school anymore. I'm the college counselor guy. Yeah, that guy <laughs> that uh, has been fortunate to, to have known all these uh, college students uh, since they were in high school. But, uh, but again, very uh, special episode in that we have three amazing individuals that are are, are joining us today uh, in uh, similar but different uh, parts in their lives. And uh, what I'd love for them to do as part of uh, their, uh, their intro is just to tell us a little bit about who they are, right? In under a minute, a bit of a challenge maybe, uh, an elevator pitch type. And so I'm gonna ask uh, ST. ST, who are you? Please, though, in one minute or so, and I am going to time you, see if you can give me a little about yourself. Hey, everyone. My name is Samaj Troop. Um, a little bit about myself is I am the third oldest out of 11 kids. I am a big family man. I come from a very large family. I, I was not expecting to have to answer first, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... I think as far as who I am is I'm very family oriented and I love to really explore and just taking all new experiences with both feet in the water, sort of without looking, just diving first. That's just who I am as a person. And hopefully as uh, this podcast goes on, you get to see more and more of sort of the way I navigate the world and the reasons why I do. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Love under a minute too. Very efficient, brief and concise with this time. Uh, who wants to jump in next on this one? I can jump in. Thank Hi everyone. You. My name is Yesenia Hernandez Cruz. Um, I'm originally from Ontario, California. I come from a family of six. And just as Samaj shared, I am also very family oriented. And I feel that 
that tight-knit relationship with my siblings has impacted a lot of my career choices, my academic choices, in terms of my outlook on life and my outlook on my profession. Currently, I'm a clinical research coordinator, so I use my bicultural and bilingual background um, to outreach to my community and just be there. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah, we need that. <laughs> Another very efficient individual, brief, concise, awesome. No essays here, no novels. <laughs> and who do we got next? Hello, everyone. My name is Arlene. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and ella. And in under a minute is a challenge. But I think what is what is so central to my identity and who I am is that I am a, <laughs> there goes my email, I am a Chicana mother scholar. All of those three uh, identities are very salient to me. Um, I consider myself a leader who leads with the corazón, with the heart. Um, I'm inspired by my ancestors, my family, like those who just shared, by my children, and by all the, the future scholars, whether they're formal or informal in the ways that they're showing up for us in this world. Um, but really, I think those would be the ways that I would describe myself. And hopefully that was concise enough. <laughs> nailed it, nailed it. I love it. Love what I was hearing. Uh, and as you referred, as you mentioned, family. Family stood out, right? That's uh, one of the qualities that we're sensing already and, and those motivations and those impacts on our dreams and our aspirations. So, um, yeah, so hopefully our audience can hear that, have, has heard that, and let's dive a little deeper. Let's, let's see where, where we can go with that. Uh, what are you thinking, Jazz? Yeah, I mean, my first thoughts are like, y'all were really good at that. I think if someone were to ask me like who I was in a minute, I would say like, uh, a good chunk of that would just be like uh <laughs> trying to think like what to say so props to y'all like that was pretty cool um but you know I guess to dive in a little bit more like tell us a little bit about like your educational journey like how did you get to where you are you know what does um you know what does your educational journey like post undergrad kind of look like well, I could hop in first. Um, apologize in advance if you hear my dog playing in the background. But uh, <laughs> so post undergrad was interesting because for people who graduated my year, um, this last year in June, we were hit with COVID in March. So mm. virtual and everything was just sort of like all the fun things that I was looking forward to, like picnic day at Davis or house mm. or things I could have done with friends just sort of was like thrown. You know, so I think sort of that set the tone for the rest of the summer when I graduated and I was like, uh, oh, man, I have a job lined up, but I don't know when I'm going to start because of COVID. So everything sort of just sort of was like on this really slow back burner. Um, so uh, I think a very important thing I learned during this time where everything was sort of very slow was that it's important to know how to take a break and enjoy yourself in the moments that you have with your friends or with your family. Because I think um, a big lesson I learned is like, there's no rush to the journey that you're on. You just have to sort of live it and things will line up when they need to line up. And I started work in November, it was supposed to start in July, and I was supposed to start in August and then October. So I know sort of the disappointment that comes with that, but at the same time I learned to, to live in the moment and make sure I'm enjoying myself and give myself the needed break I, I deserve from finishing undergrad yeah and props to you for finishing undergrad that's definitely not like 
you know, one a small thing. Like, I think I can kind of relate to you. I'm about to graduate in the midst of a pandemic too, but mm-hmm. we're still out here. We're doing it. <laughs> we're COVID babies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but does anyone else want to share like a little bit about their educational journey? Yeah, I guess just jumping off that, taking that, that break for yourself and enjoying that time off. Um, I graduated in May 2019, and I, I took that time off consciously. So I was like, okay, I've been five years away from my family. We're from Ontario. I was in Berkeley. I was like, I need to spend time with them, see, see how they've changed. Because I know every time I came back for the summer or any break that I had, I would notice like a little arruga on my, on my parents, mm-hmm. you know. And I was like, whoa, like the time that I'm spending over there, it's also passing for them, you know. And that hit, that hit home because I was like, oh. I like they sacrificed so much for me to be out there and I just want to like spend quality time with them so I spent that quality time but not just like you know yeah take take good time for yourself but also tap into your network during that time I tapped into my network at UCSF at USC people from UC Berkeley and I was just like yo I'm looking for a job I want to prepare my curriculum so that it looks good when I apply to medical school because that's the ultimate goal. Um, and yeah, because of my network, because of the friendships I made in college, I was able to land this job, land this interview. Um, so that's one big advice that I could give from the start. Make sure you tap into that network and strengthen that network before you're gone and you don't see them anymore. Yeah, beautiful. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think that if I can add is, I think I'll take it back a little bit. I think I was one of those <laughs> students that spent most of their time organizing and trying to fight injustice from within being highly involved and I think that by the time my graduation came around uh, I was like what am I doing right right after and I'm sharing this because it's it's Laneta a lot of folks do go through that right and I think that there's something to be said about ensuring that your that your service is also graduating right as a scholar that has been fulfilled and and sustained organizing needs to be sustainable as well and so I definitely found myself completely like burned out trying to to serve and and trying to work from within the institution and so I think that my advice based on on that is to allow yourself your senior year to also kind of formulate what your life looks outside the institution especially as a first-gen student I think you formulate a lot of your identity within the institution because that's a very privileged time when we're seeking identity, when we're developing who we are, when we have the time, right, to look outside of just who you are as a scholar, right, but very much all those intersections that make up who you are. And so taking advantage of that opportunity, but also thinking about what comes after college, how will you continue to serve after college, it doesn't just end at those meetings, but it happens when you graduate and you get that degree and you're able to utilize it for good. So I was very fortunate that I also had a strong network and you know, I think that they really inspired me to to apply for my first career job when at a time, you know, we're we're talking about higher education as a means to creating this knowledge economy, this workforce. Right. And so, of course, me as an organizer, I'm like anti-capitalism, all these things. Right. And I'm like, I'm never going to find a job that speaks to my passion. And I was so lucky that I, I actually got a job for the Riverside County Library System. I, uh, we got a grant from the California State Library to serve the Chicano Latino community of the Inland Empire. And so I became the coordinator of a program called Leire Strumpad, utilizing reading as a way to mobilize, but also increase the, um, 
library services for Chicano Latino community. So I actually spent most of my time on the road. Riverside County is a large county. It stems all the way from the Salton Sea, all the way up to Calamesa, the Mecula. And it's such a dense area in terms of class, right? When we're looking at not just demographics, but class, who has access and who doesn't. And the organizing I had within the institution, I utilized, right, as a coordinator of this program. All of those skills, they paid off. I was able to utilize and utilize those skills, not only to, to be in this very formal role, but to ensure that I did it alongside my community, that I empowered them along the way. I wasn't here to be a savior. They had all the tools that they needed. I was here to serve them and to do it together. And so I spend a lot of my time in Coachella and Mecca, which are farm working communities. And, you know, it just, I was so uplifted and inspired by our communities over there and how underserved they are. They're in food deserts, in areas that are completely impoverished, and they're all part of the same county. So it got me more enraged, <laughs> to say the least, but it inspired me a lot and, and, uh, and a door open to come back and serve at the university that gave me so much, that gave me a voice. And so to come back and provide that same platform and opportunity for others, I had to come back home to UCR. <laughs> Wow, y'all are some some badass people. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you had to come back. I, I don't. I don't think they're ever letting you go. That's what I'm hearing. Like, please. <laughs> At this point, yeah, it feels like that. <laughs> so you guys, you guys are mentioning about um, all these things that you did after undergrad. One thing that always interests me um, is asking people like why they decided to pursue what they're pursuing now. And, and whether it's kind of like a, where you're at right now is a stepping stone or that's kind of like what you're, or what are you working towards basically? I can jump in here. Um, as I mentioned before, my ultimate goal is to become a doctor, go to medical school. Uh, so right now, the reason I decided to go into this field of clinical research was I wanted to see how the healthcare industry is bridging clinical research with our communities. And my priority of focus is the Latino um, and Chicano community around LA. So I wanted to see like, do we have the, the staff with the cultural knowledge to go into these communities and start that conversation? Mm. Um, so that's why I did it to get that knowledge. And I, of course, I know I was firm in my decision to become a doctor, but now I am more so because I see that, you know, me as a, as a young professional coming in with that that fire and that passion and motivation to serve my community, how there's a lot of layers of health of the healthcare system that you can't do that in. So I know that with that degree and that platform, I'll be better able to serve my community, go back and allow to create those pipeline programs or even serve the community in the way that I want to. So that degree is very important to me. And as you, as you mentioned, like this is a stepping stone for me to gain the experience that I need to qualify for medical school. And then to also give me that knowledge to navigate medical school and beyond. Wow. Um, I can hop in here as well. Um, I didn't say it before, but I'm a chemical engineer, graduated as a chemical engineer. And what sort of got me thinking about going to chemical coffee lab class, which is kind of funny, something as simple as a coffee lab. So uh, basically, I was inspired by this class because it took something super simple, like a coffee machine, which is your reactor. And then it has your, you have your grounds, you have your hot water and it goes through this processing and you have all these different, uh, different sort of like chemical equations and other things that happen within that reactor that sort of give life to 
sort of the engineering behind like uh, how fluid transports or flows through different like mediums and everything. And that's that interested me because I'm a I'm a huge nerd when it comes to chemistry and sciences like that. So that's why I picked chemical engineering. But when I graduated, as they were speaking before, um, because of my network and because of me interacting with people and just being the social person that I am, I was able to land a job as a process design engineer at Echo Engineered Systems. And I think it's it served me very well as a stepping stone to eventually either go more into like the hard engineering sciences, like, oh, I'm gonna become a subject matter expert about fluid transport or about piping and plumbing and process gas, or it'll, it'll become a good avenue for me to switch into process, I mean, to project management or like overseeing multiple projects and everything like that. So I think um, sort of what I'm looking for or going for is uh, either staying with the company and <laughs> seeing where I end up um, or just, you know, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much where I am, just seeing where life leads me. And I think a big thing that I, I sort of want people to take away from is that you don't always have to know where you're going to go. Sometimes you just have to take one step at a time, you know, take baby steps, and then eventually you'll be in the place that you never knew you would, you would want to be, you'd, um, you'd, but sort of a place that's good for you to be, you know. And it's really good to be in that spot where you're satisfied where you are, but also you know that you're continuing making steps forward to, to pursue your passion. Yeah, I think that's like really important to note. Like you can plan and plan and plan and like life will be like, nope. <laughs> and just <laughs> throw something in there and spice it up a little bit. So yeah, that's a, that's definitely like really good advice. Something I'm also learning too. <laughs> it's 2020 was our big rem reminder for that too. Oh yeah. Throwing definitely. in a whole curveball. <laughs> Reese, I know you. I know you're excited over there. He was using some terms that uh, I needed to look up, and uh, your brain was just like myself. You, I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> you had me at coffee, and then you started saying, and oh, then yeah, and I, I have like, no idea what you're talking yep, about. Nope. <laughs> Who is this guy? Oh, a chemical engineer. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Um. And as far as this next question, I think you guys have somewhat uh, addressed it a tiny bit, but I would love to to get a little more uh, detail about it. Uh, just keeping in mind how um, how you identify yourself, you know, like how do you think the sense of identity has impacted uh, your experiences in your respective fields? You know, uh, Yesenia, you just got off a question where you, you know, pretty much address something like that, but something like that, or just a follow-up question being like, how does your career value your identity identity career career identity um anybody want to jump in on this one first yeah i'll go ahead and go um i feel that it was valued as soon as i interviewed um mm. i always present myself as a latina advocate um a latina health advocate i should clarify mm. um and i feel that that's very important especially in the field of clinical research because Latinos, Black, African-American, and Asian communities are one of the lowest participating participants in clinical research. So I knew that my identity can change that because of the bicultural and bilingual knowledge that I did have. Um, in terms of like valuing that identity and valuing the progress that I can make within the clinical research, I feel that the field still has a lot, a long way to go. 
Um, and I'm talking about just the professional world, not the community itself. The community itself is always very grateful, very grateful to start that bi-directional conversation. Um, but I feel especially with the uh, social justice protests that we just had, many companies are saying like, oh, we're gonna get on board and we're gonna hire people of color, black and African-American staff, but they're not really training their staff in the interior to be, you know, just culturally conscious of what these what these staff will bring to us and what they mean for our project goals. So I feel like in terms of valuing, they need to be careful about like providing a safe space for us all and knowing the qualities that we bring and appreciating that in the form of professionalism and professional growth. Um, but I feel like my identity definitely impacts the experiences that I have in my respective field because that's how I communicate with the folk that I talk to in the community itself. Anybody else? I know snaps. <laughs> yeah, I think I can jump in as well. I think that I work in a very specific center um, at the institution. It's, it's a cultural center and not too many exist in the nation. And I always think that's so important because I feel like our, our particular space exists in the margins, right? It, it wasn't by design, it was fought for. And so already it was birthed from social justice. So it, it inspires me. Um, we're like consistently on survival mode, right? And so I feel like in many ways our community also relates to that it's it's a safe haven and so I think that it's almost compartmentalized where it's valued I agree with Yesenia that I think it's it's important not to talk about identity as something sensationalized or commodified as it is and especially in higher education sometimes yeah but sure. it's about the meaningfulness and being able to be authentic to the community that it matters to so in my role and as a student affairs practitioner at the institution it's about serving students they're my primary audience serving our community, right? We're here for them, but I also have to do a lot of interest convergence when it comes to getting resources that are necessary and being able to articulate in a way that, that matters to the institution and matters to my community. So it's a lot of code switching, but it is also about knowing who you are and your worth. And so when you share, how does your career value your identity? I feel like to me, as long as my community values my identity, I think that's all that matters. And I, I understand that that's not, doesn't exist everywhere, but I'm in a very privileged space again, that I'm in an identity space, that that's what we talk about. That's, that's our foundation, right? And so to deviate from that is not part of our mission or, or our legacy. Um, and so I think that's really important because there's gonna be instances in your career that are gonna challenge you and push you mm -hmm. in so many ways. And I think affirming who you are is important and why you're doing this work matters. Yeah, definitely. I think that kind of reminds me of like this conversation that I had with um, one of our other podcast members, um, Chelsea, when we were talking about grad school, you know, I was telling her like, it's not so much about, you know, will I get accepted, but it's also a conversation about like, do they deserve me? Mm -hmm. So I think it definitely aligns with like what you were saying, Arlene, is like, you know, it's, it's not so much always like, the career valuing us but like our community and like how we you know take up that space knowing who you are knowing your worth right yeah um one question that i had for you guys was i think it's, it's kind of come up um uh with with uh, with the pandemic about um i guess from the perspective of like an epidemiologist um kind of like answering or, or getting asked a lot of questions and them having to be like that's not how it works like it's, it's more complicated than that um how it w what is that 
thing for you guys in your respective fields? So like what's something that um, I guess the general public doesn't understand or doesn't know about, about your field that is, I guess, a misconception or something? Um, I'll start with that. Um, I'll sort of break it into two, two different things. One is sort of like the general uh, people's ideology about chemical engineers. As soon as you hear a chemical engineer, you're like, oh, big oil. They must be working with these oil refineries and everything. That's sort of like every time I tell people I was being a chemical engineer, they're like, oh, you're going to be working for this or blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And you're into this huge system. I'm just like, nah, like chemical engineering is much more than just, you know, the big oil companies and everything. It's it's about so many different phenomena that's just that's sort of spread all, all the way across like many different fields, very interdisciplinary. Um, but I'd say one thing that people don't really realize just about engineers in general is it's not just all math and science. And I think when you actually get into your career, you realize that you're really talking with people and you're actually interacting and doing the writing. So I always found it funny. Um, well, I found it funny about myself and also people I talk to who are like freshmen that are coming into college is like, like, oh, I'm gonna be in. Uh, I'm gonna be like a, a engineer and all that stuff. So I'm not gonna take any writing classes and all this other stuff. And I'm like, you're gonna hate that because as soon as you come around, have to start writing memorandums and you're in like an actual job having to do all these things, it's gonna be really hard for you to, you know, have to relearn that. So I think a big thing people don't realize is that engineers are actually, actually have to know how to write and have to know how to speak and present and everything like that. And I feel like because of my, because of some of my experiences, I wish I could, I could tell home so many, so many stories about things I've been able to do. Um, but because of some of my experiences, I've been really um, good and effective so far, just because I've been able to really uh, be a good orator and really explain and write uh, critically because of uh, some of things I've learned over the years in college. Yeah, that's great. I think we were talking about that, Jazz, and and Luis in one of the other podcasts. You know, we have a lot of uh, uh, humanities, social science majors in, in, in the podcast, and, it, and it's like numbers, math, data analysis, research methods. What is that? I don't want to do that. But then you encounter that, you know, in in in, in careers, in in graduate school. So um, yeah, have fun with all that, Jazz. I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Not the numbers. <laughs> um, I can answer this question as well. Um, I took it in three different forms. So what my family doesn't understand, what my participants don't understand, what I interact with, and then my other management. Um, so in terms of family, I think this is very cute of our Latino family. And it's like, you know, the motivation that I've used in my college career. But I feel like as soon as you tell them, I want to be a doctor, and you go to college, they already think you're a doctor. So, you know, anytime <laughs> back for like, you know, social gathering, they'll be like, oh, you know, she's studying to be a doctor. So she'll know what's going on. And then like, people sit down and tell you that their feet is hurting. I think so that's part. <laughs> you know, my doctor said this, what do you recommend? How does it work? Um, so that's something they don't understand, you know, how many years it takes or how many degrees you need to take. But I think that's just so wholesome of our, of our community to have that much, I guess, confidence in ourselves that, you know, we're gonna get there one day and they already trust our knowledge. Um, in terms of my participants, which is like, we'll touch about all the disparities that were done to communities of color with clinical research. It's hard for them to just take the clinical research explanation and go with it. And that's something that I'm fully aware of. 
Um, so I need to talk to them about how we're not trying to just take things from them and not explain it. So I'm very grateful again for the bilingual and bicultural knowledge that I have to sit down and start those conversations and really just talk about like, you know, no, someone, they're, they're not going to be our conejitos. That's a lot of the fears mm. that the Latino community has, you know, like, I don't want to be a conejito for your program. And I'm like, <laughs> I understand why you feel that way. Let's talk about it. Um, so again, very grateful for that bicultural bilingual knowledge. And then in terms of my upper management, one thing that they don't understand about my field and my career is that I've been very innovative in terms of community engagement and going out to the Latino, uh, Chicano community and also the African-American and black community. But they don't understand that engagement is not synonymous with recruitment. Um, so as soon as they mm. offer an educational offering to the community, they're like, well, where are the numbers? And it doesn't work that way. You know, it takes time, it takes dedication, it takes, you know, building that trust, having those bi-directional conversations. And I feel like that's one aspect that hopefully that my work leaves behind when I do leave this field is that engagement is not synonymous with recruitment and community work is work and it'll take time to build that trust and see those numbers. Yeah, that. super important. It is work, absolutely. And I think it's important work. And I think that's one of the things that um, in my particular field, folks don't understand. I think that a lot of folks tend to put a lot of importance and legitimization on the academic and the curricular. Um, a lot of folks understand college and university to that be the impetus is that it is all curricular. It's all you as your academics is what overshadows everything else. And the scholarship indicates that that's not true, especially for first-gen students of color. The co-curricular is so important and critical to retention and persistence. Um, and so that's where my world comes in. It's about ensuring that both the curriculum and the co-curricular are serving our students, are validating their experiences and their identities. And we often talk about in my particular institution that is very diverse and serves very diverse populations, um, but we don't talk too often about the cultural competency piece, but it's about survival. We are you know, oftentimes that bridge between ensuring that we're advocating for our students of color, for our minoritized populations, advocating for their needs, advocating for what it means to be, like I said, first gen and documented student parents, right? All of the margins that we don't see because higher education in particular, and I can argue K-12 has always operated with this very heteronormative, right? Certain agenda, and they're only serving a certain identity. Um, and so we need to, my work really challenges that to co-construct what it means to serve at promised students instead of students who are behind or at risk. Um, so I think that's really important to say um, is how, how important the co-curricular is and, and investing in those programs for your diverse populations is also essential and critical. Yeah, that's definitely... <laughs> I could have a whole conversation about that. Arlene, you already know. But I guess like, you know, since you're kind of highlighting, like, it's not just the curriculum that plays like a role, right, in just anybody's journey and anybody's educational journey and things like that. Like, maybe we can kind of like switch gears and think about like, you know, how do your relationships change over time? Like, you know, whether that's with family members, friends, partners, like, you know, any relationship in general, I guess, like, um, right? Because for some of us, like, relationships can be really, like, integral to our growth and, and, like, our overall, I guess, achievements and, like, you know, that support and stuff. So I guess what I'm asking is kind of, like, how do you think your relationships have changed over time, um, 
you know, since before graduating college to now. And in that sense, like, what does your social life kind of mean? Like, what does it look like? Is it different, right? Because in college, like, you know, you, you're thrown into this like social world, but you know, once you're kind of out of it, like, what does it look like? Um, wow, I love the explanation of that question. <laughs> I'm a little nervous to answer it. Um, I think that my relationship, as I mentioned before, a lot of my motivation and inspiration comes from my family. So during college, it was always just calling them, having that strength. And like, even though I was crying like a couple minutes before, just listening to my mom's voice or my dad's voice, um, uh, having lunch with my sister, things of that sort that really reinforced where I wanted to go. Um, and that it's the same now, I accept different, different goals, you know? So in college, it was like, I just need motivation to keep studying. And I was like, I just need motivation to keep going back to work because the things that are going on, you know, um, like the things that I see, the things that are said to me, it's just, it takes a toll sometimes. And I feel like my family, um, just valuing that time around the dinner table. So I didn't have that in college, right? But I was far away. Mm -hmm. And now just coming back, sitting at the table and seeing really how much wisdom and how much strength is shared around the family table is just so beautiful. Like, I sometimes want to cry just listening to my mom and dad share about like, you know, these are going on that they don't think is influencing me. But at the end of the day, I'm just like, wow, like, okay, I can go back to work because if they have to, like, you know, my dad's a janitor. So if he has to go and clean all that stuff, I can at least go and be log back into my Zoom meeting that I have at 8 a.m., you know? So it's just, um, it's the same strength that I'm getting from them. It's just now it's more personal, more everyday type stuff. Yeah, I love that. I feel like, you know, college has made me really, like, appreciate, like, the the support that my family gives me like and the consejos that my mom gives me like I was talking to Luis and Flores about this earlier that like my mom would tell me like these dichos and I would be like huh <laughs> and then now I'm like oh my god like they make so much sense like she's so right like why wasn't I listening to her or like you know just those I guess like the dinner the dinner talk and stuff is like yeah that's a big one like I remember like eating in my dorm and being like this crusty food is like microwaved and like it's not the same <laughs> yeah. yeah but I guess like our relationships definitely do change over time yeah I'll sort of piggyback off of that um I just think about like freshman year mostly just how when I first got to college every time something would happen or uh things that I don't know, I just couldn't get to sleep and I was like really anxious and stuff. I'd like call my my grandmother at like two or three in the morning and stuff like that and talk to her and she she like advised me or pray for me and stuff like that. And we just have like those conversations and everything. And I just remember that remember like each time they're always there for me, even from sort of that from that distance. Um and that wasn't because I missed home or I was like anxious about that, but just different things that would happen in college. Um but I think what, how it's sort of changed now is now that I feel like I'm an adult and I've sort of lived through the, the terror that is college. Um, I think the biggest thing is uh, now I, I feel kind of disconnected, but also connected. It's, it's like this weird little, I don't know, a paradox, if that makes sense. It's like you're, you're in a different place in your life and you get to see everybody sort of from an out, outside view. Um, so it's really, really, really interesting, but at the same time, it's kind of weird because you start, you're sort of like building your own life and building where you're going and what you're trying to do 
all the while sort of navigating into adulthood all the while still being their 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 child and all these other things so it's sort of like this really strange uh sobering experience where I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna call my my dad at two in the morning my grandma at two in the morning more it's like I have to sort of take these things for myself and learn how to grow and how to deal with my own problems and everything like that. So I think the biggest thing is just the relationships are still there, but I think now I'm uh, taking more of a more independent and personal responsibility for things, if that makes sense. Cause I have to, you know, yeah. growth, man, maturity, independence. It's scary, man. It's scary. I know. I know. Adulthood does not sound fun. I mean, I'm 21, but am I a real adult? I don't know. <laughs> hey, don't, we're, we're almost to that question. Hold up. We're almost to that question. I think um, just, just hopping off that if I can. Really, yeah, yeah, go for it. Go um, for it. I think like Stamara said, just changing those family calls to therapy sessions. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whatever you need right it's whatever you need it's that Um, growth mindset right absolutely I I think that for me what I will add is that what college gave me and I actually loved college but what college gave me was it allowed me to develop my consciousness I feel like it was there right I had a very uh like a an upbringing that was not quote unquote normal, right? And so I feel like I always had this resilience and and I always kind of operated in the margins and, and I was always really, like my self-advocacy came at a very young age. And I think that really helped me overcome like that very first quarter, which is when a lot of our students of color are pushed out from higher education um, to stay and to seek those resources because I had done that when I applied to high school, right? I had done like all of those things. Um, But as my consciousness evolved, so did my conversations with my family. So Mm -hmm. did my ability to look for healing and look for what transformational resistance meant to me. So not only was I critiquing oppression, but I was acting on the ways that I wanted to be resilient and the ways that I wanted to evoke my own social justice and my beliefs, right? And so I think that's very essential to me. And I've heard from a lot of folks like, well, wait until, you know, I shared earlier, I'm in a doctorate program right now. And I hear from a lot of my faculty mentors that are like, wait until you get the professoriate, wait until you get a tenure track. And I'm like, my community needs me now, right? And I want to be able to serve them in those ways. And in going back to that question, it's about like valuing who you are. If I'm going to get into a program or a tenure track and be faculty, it's because they know what I bring to the table. And the same thing with my program, you know, I, I think that they need to know like who you are, right? And value the, those contributions. And so I feel like, you know, as I evolve, I think being mindful that your family, wherever they're at, meeting them where they're at, having a strong foundation is important, but there's also chosen family, right? You also have el poder to choose who you surround yourself with. And some of us don't have that opportunity. So finding that those friends that become familia is, is essential and, and really got me through college. But also, you know, evolving and setting very healthy boundaries with your family so that you can have those conversations, maybe not talk about the political climate, right, but talk about what matters to you and what brings you what brings you joy. And you mentioned partners, I have to shout out, I actually met my partner in college. So it happens sometimes, not always, right. (laughs) Um, But it does happen. And we were in the same organizing circle. So I think having that partnership is important. And and, and 
I think what matters when we think about like family, again, there's this legitimization that it looks a certain way, mm-hmm. or if you didn't have it, you crave for it to look a certain way because that equates success. And it doesn't, you define what that means for you. I have a partner who together we've broken generational trauma, right? And we've developed and grown our family the way that meant something to us, right? The way that we wanted to see it. Now we have two little cuates that just turned five years old who are our semillas for the future. And so just how to share that because we got to give love to the partners, but surround yourself with folks who, who contribute to your growth, who want to see you bloom, right? And do that for others as well. Do that for others in your circle también. Yes, beautifully said. I love that. I think that was a little bit of our conversation too with like the the college level uh, episode that we had about like, who are you? And we talked about how like our social life kind of changes, right? Like, you know, we're a little bit more intentional about who we hang out with or who we surround ourselves with because in high school, there's that pressure to be friends with people because you see them every day. But yeah, I'm glad that that like continues, you know, into you know, your partners, your family and things like that, right? Because not all families are quote unquote functional and chosen family is just as important. Really hoping that, you know, all of our listeners are, are, are seeing that, that undergraduate experience, that college experience. I think Arlene, you were alluding to this earlier. It's like, it's not just academic. It's not just the curriculum. It's not just, it's, it's, a, it's a process of self-discovery. You know, it's an opportunity for that growth. I think um, I always joke around that, you know, I may have double majored in political science and international development studies, but my true degree was just personal social growth. Um, that's where I, I think I, I, I really grew the most and what's gotten me to where I am today, not that degree. Like now I'm a school counselor, but when in college, I enjoyed what I was studying, but I found my path elsewhere. And it was because of that individual uh, in that, that was uh, developed, that was raised throughout those years. But um, kind of uh, switching it a tiny bit, you guys have mentioned, you know, we, we focused right there on, on family and, and partners. Like, um, you know, in high school, jazz, you were talking about, you know, sometimes you're forced into some friendship circles, right? And in college, you know, it could be within your dorm or within like uh, classmates and stuff. So now you're out of college, right? Um, what do you consider to be your community these days? Like, what's that uh, surrounding like right? those friendships? You're not uh, by the tree in, in high school anymore. You're not walking to your dorm. It's like, so how do you develop this? This uh, We'll leave it as community, however you want to interpret that. Anybody uh, want to jump in on that one? Yeah, um, I feel like my community became my professional network within my job. Um, just those coworkers, like it's really awkward because they know everything about you, but then you don't talk to them outside of work, but they become that community for you at work. And then now in the remote session, just checking in on each other, like, how are you doing? That was a really long, long um, meeting. Like, how are we doing this? So I think community develops as you move on. And it's important to know that, you know, we're all post undergrad and maybe we made friends and connections and we had that community back in college, but people just you know, they grow their separate ways. And that doesn't mean that you all like lost all the friendship or lost all the connections that you all had, you know, in undergrad. It's just that with your postgrad self, you're developing yourself and it's important to like take care of the person you're becoming. And going back to that that partner and those friends and that family that you get to choose, really choose the people like, that's what community should mean to you. People that 
motivate you to grow, motivate you to keep going and help you de-stress when you need it and you're there for them. And that's that bi-directional relationship. Um, I could hop in here as well. Um, I think sort of the community that that I sort of experience now, now as, um, I'm living at home <laughs> in LA with um, my grandma and my sisters is sort of like sort of the same exact way it was growing up. Um, like I said, I, I came from a very large family, so we're all packed in a in a in a house, and we would be silly, we'd hang out, we'd just really enjoy like just the simplest things. And I think sort of um, one thing I'm grateful for during this time, despite like uh, COVID being sort of ramping it rampant across the country and destroying a lot of things, uh, I'm just really grateful for the fact that I'm able to really sort of like go back to the past and enjoy my family, how I sort of missed out on these, the five years I was in college, because I would, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be up in college, just like watching Facebook live videos of all my family gatherings and all this stuff. And I'm just sitting there all by myself, studying for midterms, like kind of sad, but I think the way community has, has evolved because of COVID is just, uh, now it's more online outside of my family. Like, like, uh, Yesenia was mentioning sort of you sort of checking in with your coworkers, and I have been able to really sort of get to know the people I'm working with, which is really awesome, which is amazing. But there's also that really awkward uh, internet lag type thing where you're talking and then it's no one's talking. It's just everyone's staring and looking at each other. And, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of like the new normal, but I kind of like that we are now able to sort of see that we're growing and see that people adjust and people grow and, you know, community is sort of what you make it. So um, I'm just, I don't know. This is, these are like sort of trying and weird times, but I'm really grateful and really thankful that I'm able to experience it because I think through all hardship and all experiences, you, you know, you get, you get more and more refined or sharpened. Yeah. yeah I have to say that I was laughing with like your community at the tree in high school, because that is so accurate. <laughs> but yeah, I think using that same, like, like <laughs> visualization I think it's like like branches you branch out right your roots if your roots are firm and deep and you know who you are right you're able to branch out and I, I think that being strong enough to be generous with what community means to you perhaps in high school your community was short and sweet because that's what you were exposed to or you were doing it for survival or whatever that was but I think in college it's about revealing those layers of you right letting letting the leaves fall, right? And, and you know, I'm really kind of going with this, this blooming, right? But it is about blooming and it's about cultivating those fruits of your labor by your investment in your relationships. It's all about unity, right? It's all about solidarity. And I think that when we're, especially going back to the curriculum, it's very individualized, right? And we're looking at being a martyr or an outlier, right? When we hear of higher education, we always get those stories of folks who persevere despite all odds, right? And it doesn't always look like that. And it's dangerous actually to only perpetuate that the outliers get to succeed. So we need to be affirming with who we are and remind all the listeners that you all matter. Y que tienen todo adentro to be who you are, right? And, and be firm in who you are and not forget to branch out and define community, however that means to you. But by all means, do not do it alone, right? Having 
branches that surround you, having folks that cultivate and nourish you is essential because you never know who you're providing shade to at a high school. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> That's really nice. Keeping, because I, I like that metaphor of the tree, uh, just running with it. Keeping that metaphor of the tree, um, you mentioned having those roots and um, branching out. So my question would be, if, if what type of tree you are is your identity, how has your identity, um, I guess, shaped the way that you place yourself in that forest? If, if the forest is the world, I guess. Wow, I love that. I know. Look at you, dang. Y'all are gonna make me cry. Like, <laughs> I cry about everything. Like, oh, I'm, I'm just powerful. gonna, if you start seeing me, like, just tear up, just ignore it. Like, <laughs> hey. You tear up as much as you want. I guess we're all taking long to respond because we don't know the names of different types of trees. (laughs) 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 Um, But I would just say a lemon tree just because I have two here, one in front and one in the backyard. Um, And I feel like the support it has provided for my family is the support that I want to provide for the world um, and specifically the communities that I want to outreach to. And I don't know why I just thought about myself as a tree, but I feel like my hands are very heavy because I feel like, you know, I put a lot of weight on myself. And I feel like as students of colors, professionals of color, we tend to do that, you know, like we we see our community and we know what we need and we know what we want to advocate for and we know what we, how we want to serve them. And we're just like, just add it on, you know, I can do that. Yes, yes, of course, it's going to help my community. I keep doing it, I keep doing it, you know, and the weight gets heavier. So I'm just thinking of like, my lemon tree, I think around maybe like November is when the branches start <laughs> getting too heavy. Um, that's that's the tree I would be um, because even though it's like a lot of pressure and a lot of work and it just takes a toll, it's the work that I like to do and that the work that's like self-fulfilling. So I'm a lemon tree. <laughs> so in November, we got to come over and get some lemons. Right, let's take them. <laughs> I mean, going with the metaphor of the tree, I guess I'll say I'm a great oak tree because my middle name is Ilan and in Hebrew, that means the great oak tree. If I had more time. Ooh, there you go. So I got a tattoo with my, uh, like, yeah. anyways. <laughs> really he was ready for this question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I'd say that sort of the characteristics of an oak tree is sort of like to be deeply rooted and to be centered and to be able to just, you know, weather any storm and everything like that. And I think because of my family, because of how I was raised, very family oriented and to know know where my home is and to stay rooted in who I am and my identity and who I, and you know who I was raised to be. I think I was able to go into college and just kick ass, you know what I'm saying, take names. <laughs> and I think a big thing I uh I think I learned from college is that failure is just as important as all your successes and mm-hmm. like I said rooted in being able to weather all these storms like a big thing that I uh I had to under, I had to realize is um that despite like all your failures and all the things sort of you you think that you should be doing and all that stuff like I think every failure is like this weird there's this weird phrase that I learned in, in school it's called to fail forward so every time you fail, you sort of go forward a little bit, right, to step forward. And one of my best friends in college, uh, his name is Josh, 
throw out a throwback, you know what I'm saying? For college. Um, he told me this, this really cool phrase that I've sort of um, learned to live by. It's continuous power. It's, I forgot how to say it in Japanese, but um, the continuous power. So live with the idea that um, no matter how, how long it takes you, no matter how hard it is, as long as you continue to, you know, to sort of push forward, you're going to get to your objective. And it may not look, it may not look like what you expect it to look, you know, like looking at like where you are currently, but to continue is power because you're eventually going to get to some place and you're going to look back and you'll be like, okay, because I continued, because I persevered, I was able to get this or achieve this. And I think because of that, and because of me being a great oak tree, you know, um, I was just sort of ready to take on the world. So, <laughs> yeah. Power. There I am. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm loving, thank you all so much for your uh, arboral contributions. <laughs> um, I think that I would be an orange tree. I think I have to give homenaje to UC Riverside as an experiment, as a citrus experiment station that was our mm -hmm. founding in the late mm -hmm. 1800s. But I feel like, you know, it, there's something resi resilient about a citrus tree and they're planted everywhere on our campus naturally because of our founding and students just freely pick them. I mean, they give sustenance to our community. Anyone can come and, and on campus, there's families that come on the weekends or any events and we, we give away uh, the fruits of our labor, the fruits of this institution, you know, the foundation and, and if that was fought for, right? To be, to be given out so freely. Um, but it happens now and it's part of our community garden and, and students can just come and pick and pick the citrus, um, but it gives you vitamin D, it gives you vitamin C, and it's just so, so nourishing, and, you know, there's, there's legacies of trees that are planted, as I shared, all over our campus, but I also have citrus trees, so at, at home, like Yesenia, and they're actually in season now, I have blood orange trees, and so I think there's just something beautiful when you see something grow growing right and I have like no green thumb by any means and I have <laughs> parents who are farm workers so hopefully they're not hearing this but <laughs> I think that you know it's my trees are dwarf trees so they're chiquitos pero picosos like small but they still give out nourishment they give out what they can even if it's one or two oranges they give and they give and so I see it just firm and strong and I feel like that's hopefully that's me giving to my community and providing them some sort of sustenance in their journey. I don't want to get uh, <laughs> that that's you. Like as, you know, one of your students or like student staff, like your tree is definitely giving, it's a bomb tree. So. <laughs> um, I don't want to get too metaphorical, but like just thinking of your, talking about your parents, Arlene, and how, like you said, you know, they, they take care of your garden. Um, it's actually funny. My dad is the one that, waters the trees morning and night he doesn't go to sleep without watering them and my mom is the one that actually like the weird the weird like prunes them and cuts mm. them and if she doesn't cut it I I don't know if the tree knows or like it's just all in our heads but less lemons come out and it just made me think about the previous questions we had about choosing your community and choosing people who really make you grow really motivate you and I feel like the love and the tenderness that my parents take care of the garden with is like what I aspire to look for in my community and then the partnerships that I choose to have so I think being staying with that tree metaphor is just you know you should be the tree you should be providing but also find people who provide for you and take care of you 
Wow. I don't know if y'all could see the tears coming, but like that's <laughs> yeah. so Powerful. I can see a little pink nose. I think I see. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. Like, you know, the the trees definitely know. Like, the plants pick up on our energies, and like, I think Yesenia, your your example really shows to how it's about community. Like what Arlene said before. Like this journey is not one that's meant to be traveled alone. Like, you know, it's a community effort. It takes a village to support like this one tree. So. I love that. I don't know. I was trying to come up with other tree uh, uh, examples <laughs> and analogies. I was like, okay, the Amazon, you know, all those trees are together and they're literally saving the world. No. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So moving away from trees a tiny bit. Um, adults, we, we, it was kind of alluded to earlier. When did you start feeling like a real adult? When did it hit you? When was that moment of personal growth, of self-discovery, whatever it is, however you want to address it? Because we joke around that, you know, I'm married, I have a career, you know, I'm comfortable where I am in life. I don't know if I'm a real adult yet, you know? So um, when would you feel, if you feel, when is it that you felt like that real adult? Uh, Anybody you want to start off with that one? I'll start, but it's really, really, really quick answer, to be honest, because I don't feel like I'm a full adult yet, but mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've realized I've grown a lot and I've changed and my, my perspective has been honed over the years, but I think the first time I really started feeling like a real adult is when I had to start paying for bills, you know, contribute <laughs> to society, contribute to the cogs of society. And I, I'd say more recently when I bought my first uh, car, and I looked at that car, the car note and I looked at the insurance and I was like, Ooh, I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> they got out of job because it's not pretty to be in the, in the world with <laughs> having paid things off. So not cheap. <laughs> Being an adult, not cheap. Yeah. But I, I, I definitely, I still don't feel like an adult, but I'm slowly starting to realize like little things that you need to know or have to do as an adult. And it's kind of scary, but also it's kind of beautiful because, you know, you, you get to see yourself grow and change. And it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's cool. I don't know how else to describe it. It's a really nice experience. And every, your family sees it and they say things and you're just like, you don't really realize it until you're able to come back and you know, really just spend time with them. You're like, oh man, I really changed. I'm really not doing the things that I used to do, or I'm not hanging out with the same people. You know, you sort of grow forward. And it's not necessarily that you're leaving them behind because like we were talking about earlier, you have that chosen community that supports you and, you know, sort of waters you and prunes you and everything. And you're able to grow because of that. But um, I'm going back to the tree. I know, yeah, <laughs> it's too good not to. <laughs> um, but you should be able to see that, that, like I said, that distance now, because you're sort of forging your own path, you know? So I still feel like a full-fledged adult, but I know that I'm walking down the road to becoming one. So it's really cool. That that distance little by little, you know, that's awesome. (laughs) Anybody else? I I think that uh, I can say that I mean, I really appreciate the term like adulting because I think there's layers, right? It's in progress. I think that 
there are moments that take you back perhaps to you know when you were a child or if if you're equating adulting with dependency or independence and so I think that there's various levels and I think that that you get to define that for yourself right um and so I feel like for me it's when I moved into college my freshman year you know I think that a lot of the reason what I stated earlier is you know I think I had to grow up very early and so my adulting came a little at a little younger age. And so I feel like when I moved into college, I'm completely moved out from my home and that may be some folks' experiences. And then I always had a job right after that. I worked in the summer, I stayed at the institution and I didn't really move back home. And I think that that just helped me, you know, the way that I was uh, looking at independence, right? For me, adulting was like complete, like cut, right? Like I am, like able to sustain myself, like financially independent, all of these things. But I think it's more than that, right? It's about making those decisions for yourself and, and also kind of elaborating on this earlier idea of like ensuring that you're also doing it in unison with other people. And so some, some of us, you know, maybe wanting to have grown up very early for various reasons, but I think it's, it's in stride. And I think you have to do it with a lot of grace and a lot of care. And you want to do it for the right reasons, right? Not because you want to move out and do all these things, but because, again, <laughs> going back to the trees, you're affirmed in who you are, right? And, and I made those decisions in part to support my family. I, I grew up with a single parent who didn't have the financial means to support me while I was in college. And so to me, it was really important to take on that responsibility myself. And so... That was a huge decision and one that I consider and value being an adult decision and realizing that there's a lot of value in that, right? If, I think there's a lot of weight that you carry if, if that's your situation, but celebrate that resilience that you have that you're able to kind of overcome that and, and support your family along the way. And so I think that that all matters, you know, who you are in the mix with everyone around you also matters. But going back to what I shared earlier, earlier, you know, not doing it alone, I think seeking help, right, seeking those resources as well, like knowing your financial aid, like applying for those resources for fellowships for all those, those grants and those opportunities to kind of help sustain you so that you do generate like generational wealth. That's also really important. And I'm sure a completely other like topic that we don't talk about enough. But in my family, adulting meant financial stability. And that stayed with me like the entire time. And as I developed in my adulthood, I realized that that's not the only thing that matters in, in becoming an adult. Yeah, I think like definitely my view of adulthood, like I, I think I always joke about this with Flores, like saying like he's the only real adult in like our podcast group. Um, but, you know, like as I was like in college, like I was gaining like that financial independence and like also, like you said, like living for myself, like finally living for myself, thinking for myself, like doing those things. But I think because of COVID, like I'm back home. So <laughs> my adulting got paused a little bit, but it's okay. We're out here. But um, I guess just to switch gears a little bit, like, you know, I think for me as uh, a Latina in higher education, like um, a Salvadoreña in higher education, right? Like just thinking about like my identity and in these spaces, like, navigating imposter syndrome has been really difficult. You know, I'm applying to grad school and it's only gotten worse. <laughs> and um, I guess what I wanna ask y'all is like, if and when 
you experienced? Like, when did you first experience imposter syndrome? And what is your relationship with imposter syndrome now that like you're outside of undergrad? Like, what does it maybe look like in your respective fields or like where you're at in life right now? Um, my first experience with the imposter syndrome was definitely in college. Um, I felt it in every STEM class that I took, but specifically more in my up, uh, upper division classes. Um, so, you know, we saw a lot of students of color in the first, they like to call them weeder classes because, you know, they weeder our, our community out. Um, mm -hmm. And just seeing that change in my higher, like upper divisions, like I could count the people of color, you know, I could count the students of color in there. I was just like, wow, like it, I am not meant to be here, you know, uh, but it was through the community that I had formed. I'm going to give a quick shout out to the biology scholars program. You know, mm -hmm. we were all students of color trying to pursue biology and they were, you know, making, making sure that we found the, I guess, the, the needs that we needed to move through in life. And what I love about that program is that they never coddled us. They always empowered us. And so that was what I used during those times. And I know you said like how, what our experience is it with it now? I feel like it never leaves a person of color. I feel like as you navigate your school, your academic work, your professional work, you will always encounter it. What matters is how you encounter it and what you learn from it. Um, if we can get into like an experience, um, I know I talked a lot about community engagement and I've put in a lot of effort on it and I won't name any names of institutions or anything, but I was invited to go speak on these projects and get information from people that are, you know, have PhDs in the field, they were talking, you know, about certain certain strategies that you need to use to go into these communities. And one of the participants, you know, they were older, they were white, they were, you know, of influence, had money. Um, I believe that they thought that it was funny to tell me, hey, Latina, um, that in order to increase the numbers of Latinos for my project, I had to let them know that I would send Trump their address. Um, and that was a joke shared wow. among all professionals. And, you know, that, that time where you're like very nervous, you get like really red, you like start heating up. Like you literally feel like you heat up because you, you want to say something. But then in my head, I was like, I'm just a clinical research coordinator. Like if I say something, I might lose my job. Like if I start crying, they're going to think I'm weak. If I, if I reply, they're going to think I'm like, you know, outraged and I don't know how to manage the professional world. So it just took me a lot to just like sit ignore and just like be excused out of that meeting when it finished and when I was outside just let out the breath you know like wow I made it out of there and the thing that really brought me back was thinking about the experience I had with the imposter syndrome in college thinking about that community that really reinforced me and when I got out the meeting I was like I'm happy I don't have those views and I'm happy I'm here with my bicultural bilingual living through these communities not thinking of this not thinking of them in this way, being able to bring my work and my passion and my motivation and like feeling powerful and not feeling like at the outskirts, you know, feeling powerful in my in my work and what I can do and what I could advocate for. Um, and even though I couldn't say anything there because I felt like my entry level position was at play, I know that as I gain my platforms, as I gain my degrees, I'll be able to acknowledge that and move forward with that and use that as strength. Um, so. <laughs> I'm choking up, but like one big, big advice I have for uh, people of color in academics and in profession is to, you will experience imposter syndrome is just learning, learning from it, growing from it and using those experiences in the future.
Yeah. Wow. Sure. Thank you for sharing that. I'm mad that that someone even said that. But you know what? Like you said, like you're gonna you're gonna like kick ass in that field, and you're gonna make all the difference. Like just you existing in this in these spaces is gonna make like a huge difference, and not just in the people that like you're gonna encounter, but like maybe other students that can look up and see themselves in you. You know, I think that'll also make like a really huge difference. So. Props to you, F imposter syndrome. You're kicking ass. <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I think that whoever's listening will really value on how you've overcome that and not allowed it to right, hold you back in any way. But I think, you know, I'm not sure if it's been defined, but I think, you know, it's important to define what imposter syndrome is. And it's internalized beliefs that we're not good enough. And it's usually associated with our academic performance. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's essential because what that internalization does is that it does, you know, freeze you in the midst of all of your potential. And it allows for these voices that are often privileged voices, right, or often voices of power or influence, um, who are then projecting their beliefs about you or about a whole community of you or folks who look like you, right. And so it, it starts again with ensuring that you know the social context, you know like who you are, and you know how to navigate those spaces because I think you're absolutely right. Unfortunately, you will encounter imposter syndrome even in high school. You know, we look at the opportunity gap in many of our high schools, especially in communities that are minoritized, do not have, right, the opportunities that other, you know, um, high schools or, or institutions do. And so I think being able to like navigate through that is important and not internalizing self-hatred that is already projected on our communities is important. Knowing that, that you can, right? That you can and that you will and that other folks, hearing from other folks that they can and they did is, is important. And, and I think part of the imposter syndrome, at least when I experienced it, and I still do experience it, even being an agent of an institution in higher education, doesn't matter the degrees that you hold. That's another thing too. Do not believe that the degrees are gonna set you free from any of this bias. Um, unfortunately, that is not the case. Let the work though speak for itself. Let the work set you free and let it set your community free. So do work that matters. Porque vale la pena from Gloria Saldua. Um, but I was sharing is that there's what's called racial microaggressions that happen. And they're microaggressions because they're a daily daily feeling of invalidation whether they're attacks to you or your psyche it's it's daily it's in the curriculum it's in the interactions with folks and in all of these things that we see in the news right and so that begins to do something to you and and like I said you begin to internalize that and so that community is what gets you through right and and knowing why you're here and why you're doing this work because I've seen a lot of folks like I said be pushed out because of these very strong feelings of imposter syndrome and not having the support that they needed to reaffirm who they are um, and really value their contributions and value them as scholars. Um, I had the opportunity, you know, in in my current um, position, I also get to teach undergrads as a TA. And the first thing that I do all the time is I call them scholars because they need to hear that they're scholars and that they're valued that, that they're contributors of knowledge, that they have everything that they need, right? So shifting that power dynamic. You're not gonna be here at my class and like hear everything that I'm feeding you. I'm not gonna, you know, do the banking method like Paulo Freire says, well, this is a community 
of care. This is community knowledge and that exchange is important. So even them being in that position, like just me valuing and validating them as scholars, it makes a huge difference. So counselors, teachers, folks in positions of power, when there are youth around us, value them, right? Their voice matters. And it's important to ensure that they know that or else that imposter syndrome will become internalized and it will be difficult to get out of it, but you can. Yeah, I think that's a big thing is like acknowledging like the role that like, yeah, I I guess um, pointing out like those moments of like imposter syndrome, but also like still remembering like those moments where we feel empowered. Like I will never forget the first time like I had a Latina professor and being able to like see her up there, like teaching to all these students. And like now she's writing like a letter of rec for me. And like, I don't know, it's just like those moments, moments like that, or moments of like, like you said, Arlene, like that validation really helps like fight off like that imposter syndrome. And like, you know, that like small voice in your head that like wants you to fail. Like it's, it's those people, those femtors, those mentors, those teachers, those counselors, like everything that makes like all the difference in the retention and like the survival of, of students as people. I just feel like you adequately answered that question. I have nothing more to say. (laughs) That's just great. (laughs) Cool. Um, So then uh, for the last question or second to last, I should say, uh, on a more lighter note, because we're all still looking for ideas, you guys have these really big roles to play in the world. But uh, how do you guys, what does self-care look like for you guys? I can start. So because of COVID, I was kind of convinced by my significant other to get a puppy. (laughs) So so a big, big part of my self-care is uh, spending time with this little booger. She's on the floor right now, kind of like staring at me. She always stares at me. (laughs) But uh, I train her and I started taking her on walks. And I just, I think it's sort of like having your own little... I'm not going to say kid because uh, I don't know how it is to have a kid, but it's sort of like your own little kid, you know, that you have to t- take care of and you have to make sure that you're okay and you're in a good position and be able to take care of somebody else. So I think it sort of helps to sort of put things on your docket so that you're actually taking care of yourself. Um, one thing I love doing for self-care is sort of just watching TV after work or s- sitting outside during uh, during breaks and just, you know, just taking in the environment or listening to my my aunts and sisters sing crazy songs while I'm trying to do work. You know, things like that where you're just able to enjoy the moment, enjoy just the community and enjoy the environment. Sort of, you know, waking up and actually like looking outside and smelling the roses or the or the dew from the morning. Things like that where you're able just to appreciate just your life and where you are, you know. That's how I, I sort of had to learn where, where my self-care is. It's sort of just appreciating where I am, appreciating my environment and the people surrounding me. Yes, being present. Yes, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I think I can share um, something about this pandemic is that it really shed light on this grind culture mm-hmm. um, and being overworked, overstimulated, you know, mind you, I do not want to minimize that this pandemic has also caused tremendous grief and loss and 
our condolences to you know everyone who's experiencing grief loss and, and fatigue with COVID-19. You know, I think that's a reality that many of our communities are, are facing. Um, but I think that moment that you shared about reflection is essential. And I think that, you know, I'm very privileged that I get to work and school at home. Um, you know, I didn't lose my job like so many folks did. And so I, I still get to be employed, right? And I think that there's reality in that. And so understanding that, you know, I do hold a lot of privilege to be home and, and be safe, right? Um, and that my children are also home and safe. Um, and so I've utilized my time very in, in reflective ways is that how am I contributing to the grind culture, the very grind culture that I was just talking about earlier that I was trying to combat, right? <laughs> when, I was, <laughs> when I was in college, um, you know, but I, I think down the line, it's like, doing being busy right being needed like contributing in these ways and to me I justified it all like I'm overworked because there's so much need and but there's only one person right to go around it's it's about role modeling that self-care for other folks for other students it's about ensuring that the generation that comes after you know is is sustained and nourished and practices self-care so that they can better serve the community, right? Our community wants us whole and fulfilled and strong enough, right? So that we can continue overcoming these barriers. They do not want us grinded to the bone. That was our ancestors, right? They want better for us. And so I think in being reflective has been, you know, very utilizing my time to nourish my soul, you know, taking a walk. Now that I'm not on my campus, I, I go outside and I take a walk and Jazz hears me talk about this during our staff meetings is, going outside with my pies descalzas, like taking off my socks, my bare feet, just touching the grass for a moment really grounds me to the earth. Um, it's, it's important for, for me to just have that moment of peace and reflection, reading for pleasure. <laughs> and I share this with Jazz too, contributing to authors of color and their scholarship and reading for pleasure, you know, like reading poetry, reading things that nourish my soul so that I'm not you know getting all my content from the internet as well and taking a break from the internet and from the news right is also important like I want to look at and review things that matter to me and then I think another thing that I would say in addition to obviously spending time with my children is you know laughing in in chaos and in darkness as we're experiencing the world now finding joy and laughter, you know, there's an entire class that graduated during the pandemic. We have to find joy to celebrate that. There's another class coming up, right? There's a whole generation that's gonna start college. You know, there's folks giving birth, there's families, you know, buying their homes, all of these things we need to be able to find joy as well in the midst of pain. And I think that both can coexist, right? We can still acknowledge that there's pain but I think we can't do that just in a silo or in a vacuum or else all our joy gets sucked away. We need to be able to celebrate our resilience as a community and, and ensure that there are also moments of joy because that is what's going to get us through. Yeah, it's all the memes that have been getting me through, to be honest. Like, honestly, the Bernie ones, those those are cracking me up right now. <laughs> oh, my God. The one with the blanket, like the weekend. <laughs> those are so funny my mom literally sent me like 10 like in the text She's like, have you seen these and I'm like I tell her no so she feels like you know that I haven't seen them but yeah definitely like I think finding joy at a time like this is is has been super important or like 
still being able to celebrate the small things or be present or, you know, just acknowledge like we're here, like, you know, we have another day, like that in itself is like a huge blessing. But I guess to kind of wrap up and come back to just where we started, right? Like thinking about all that y'all have shared and how open y'all have been, you know, I want to, you know, throw the question back at you, like, who are you? What does, what does you mean? Like, you know, now that we've had these conversations and um, we've learned a little bit more about each other and developed like these thoughts a little bit more. Anyone want to, want to. No elevator pitch, no time. No elevator here. <laughs> what do you got for us? Nothing. <laughs> a few seconds. No, it's a difficult question, right? It's a very loaded question. So maybe yeah. a quick second or two to kind of get your thoughts together. I know we moved on, but can I quickly answer the self-care question? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, and that'll give uh, Samaj and Arlene some time to think of your non-elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what I, I really like that both of you brought up reflection. Um, I feel that I do a lot of things for self-care, like running, reading, you know, but one thing that I've explored in college and after college is cooking. Um, so mm. fun fact about me, I took, I minored in French and because I minored in French, I took this class mm. on, you know, food culture and how we see food and recipes as generational like passings, you know, and after that class, I really started seeing how food is a form of love and a form of like, I saw it when my mom cooked and every plate and they always tell you like, Acabate toda la comida, you know, and like, I never really realized how much love is put into every plate. So a form of self-care for me that it's very dearing and that's why I wanted to share it. Um, it's just cooking for myself and cooking like for my partner, for my family and really, really putting love into the recipe, you know, like just the way that I they put the, the, the plate together. I want fruit, let me make sure my fruit is colorful, cutting it, you know, like, I feel like people made fun of me because I said that my mom would slice my fruit um, in high school. Like anytime I forgot a book, yes. like, yes. book and slice my fruit and the office ladies would be like, why do you slice it for them? Like she can bite now, she's not a baby. But I like, now I see how much love she put into it. Like she didn't want me to spend time like throwing away, you know, the carcass and stuff. So that's a form of self-care for me, like cooking with love, seeing food as love and learning how to cook, you know, generational uh, recipes. So, yeah. Yes, I love that. I think we were we were also talking about that, how right now and like with doing school at home, like, you know, my parents might not fully understand like what I'm doing all the time, but they still support me in the sense of like, my mom will knock and she'll be like, here, I brought you something to eat. Like, do you want this? And I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, that was beautiful. I love that. <laughs> But I guess just to jump back in, now that y'all have, you know, Yesenia gave y'all some time to think about it. <laughs> I hope y'all thought about it. But, you know, I know it is a little bit of a loaded question. And like, I myself probably cannot answer it. But, you know, and that's okay. That's an answer in itself, right? So I guess, again, like, who are you? Yeah, I can jump in. In addition to being the orange tree that I shared earlier, I'm being a Chicana mother scholar. I think if I could share, I would be Esperanza. Esperanza, which means hope, but it's also one of my favorite characters um, from one of the first Chicana literature um, books that I ever read, The House on Mango Street. 
um, by Sandra Cisneros. And, you know, Esperanza is such a beautiful character. And there's this quote at the end when Esperanza is leaving Mango Street. And the quote is sharing how, you know, Esperanza, remember who you are and come back, come back to Mango Street. Um, but you carry Mango Street wherever you are. And I feel, and ever since I was little and I read that, I'm just like, I'm Esperanza, right? Like I, I'm, I'm hope, right? And I still feel very strongly with that character. And, um, and I think that that's important, right? It's, it's just having that like hope, right? And in addition to everything else, in addition to those accolades and, and that pain and that joy that you experience, like I've always maintained hope right I've always been optimistic and and I've always carried Mango Street with me my version of Mango Street my community and I've always come back thankfully I've had the honor to come back and to continue serving and so you know Mango Street is me and I am Mango Street and so uh, shout out to the hassle on Mango Street highly recommend it but um, I am Esperanza Wow, love that. And if no, if y'all haven't read that book, please read it. Do yourself the favor, like chef's kiss. It's so beautiful. I guess I can, I can try to flesh this question out. <sighs> Who am I? Um, I think I say I'm Smudge. I am, I'm the third oldest of, of 11. Um, I'm a very resilient individual. I love to face life with with anticipation and hope for challenge, you know, and sort of looking forward towards things that I know don't come easily for me. I am a person who loves people, who loves to really be immersed in just different cultures and different things. And a person that for as long as I, I live, will never stop being that, you know. And as Arlene mentioned, I'm also an oak tree. So I'm deeply rooted in my community and deeply rooted in my family and my friends. And although I may grow really strong as an independent branch or stop, whatever you call that, uh, I also have different branches reaching out into different things and different people. And because of that, able to grow and bear fruit. So who am I? I'm Samaj <laughs> and I'm glad to be myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice. Um uh I'm just gonna say I am statements. Um I am loving, I am caring, I am growing and I am powerful. Um you know loving I always lead with my heart caring I guess I also lead with my heart that's that takes part in it um, but caring is different from loving you know like when you care about somebody you actually put in that work you you want to care for them you want to give them what they need um, I'm growing acknowledging the fact that you know I learned from all these individuals today you know I never knew you all you know I knew Luis he invited me um, and I knew from I learned from each one of you and just taking your knowledge taking your wisdom and growing with it and then I am powerful because going back to that imposter syndrome experience that I shared, that's what really helped me get through it. And as I navigate life, I hope that I always remember that I am loving, I am caring, growing and powerful because that's what really at the end of the day, you need to know who yourself, identify yourself and be sure you move forward with that. Yes, snaps. 
A big sigh. I mean, it's it's uh, quite the the experience. I think just the the connections that that were made today, and just um, uh, just I'm like I said earlier, just honored, just proud to have this opportunity to to have heard all of these different um, voices, experiences, messages. Um, some tears were coming down, um, and uh, and were shared. And, but I just want to give you guys a big thank you, big thank you for sharing, for opening up uh, about your lives, about everything that there is about you. Um, I think all listeners should uh, take this and start looking up different trees and figuring out which one are you, which <laughs> variation are you, what do you want to do, what, what part, how are you going to help this world, you know, or whatever it is that, whatever tree that or plant that you want to be in jazz. I know you're taking like a plant class right now. So I'm sure that you're- Yeah, don't even get me memory. started on Let's that. Let's not talk about that class. <laughs> yeah, for you, you want to know like the scientific name. <laughs> that too, like- Scientific, it's like her brick and- I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope that professor is not listening. Um, <laughs> so uh, the best part about this, uh, uh, I think uh, episode is, we briefly mentioned during pre-recording, we're looking at about 55 minutes to to 60 minutes or so. Luis, I think we're almost at the two hour mark. Um, no, 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 an hour and a half, an hour and a half. There you go. Um, but we, I think every minute was was worth it. We uh, were very glad to have you folks with along with us. And um, this podcast is, is thanks to you, every single member and all of our listeners, I'm sure have gained a great perspective and um, so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, lastly, to our listeners, uh, please remember that uh, you can follow us on Instagram. We are at university mm-hmm. underscore pod. And uh, we still also have our, our, our survey that we would love to get feedback from you. Please let us know how we're doing. What did you learn? What would you like to learn? Um, what would you like to share? Uh, clearly we're listening to you as far as uh, the advice that you're giving us, the comments that you're giving us. So please be uh, sure to do that. Um, and uh, what else do we have? Um, next episode will be Timeless Tips. Timeless Tips will, for this series. Uh, we have a, a great, something great in store for you. I don't exactly know. We were planning that at the same time we we're planning this episode, but be out on the lookout for that next week. Anything else? Nope. Thanks, everyone. So, thank you very much, folks. Cue that outro. Peace.